So we have a treat. Um, Demis is actually bringing the good word. And if you don't know Demis and Azita, then I'm sorry. You're missing out. Your life can't improve, <laughs> I promise you. But this church, I can honestly say this, Azita, about you and Demis, that uh, we are a better church because of you two. And this church would be different if you guys weren't a part of it. And so thank you for saying yes to this community. Thank you for the way you guys love unconditionally. And just thank you for just showing us what marriage and family looks like. So we bless you guys. Can we welcome Demis up? Thank you, Jason. That's very generous of you. I mean, it's, inter it's interesting that you say all those things because, again, uh, Jason said it exactly right. We, we just did what God told us to do. It's that simple. Um, it was hard at times, but really just saying, yeah, we should do what God told us to do. We should go to Ivy Church. And uh, I had no idea even what would happen there. It's been amazing. Um, so, uh, you know, we're, we've been going through the book of Hebrews. Uh, Jason told me something like a month and a half ago, hey, you're going to be doing Hebrews uh, uh, 3, 4, 5, um, maybe 5, 6, 7. It changed a little bit, right? And honestly, I was reading the book of Hebrews, and I was like, uh, okay, some of you might not know me. My name is Demis, but I'm, I'm a, a scientist at UCSB. Although that might sound like I'm very academic, I don't do textbooks very well. If I need to learn something, I'm like, hey, can I ask you this question? And I just like, go ask somebody who, can, like, who knows more about it than me, and they just tell me that, right? So reading Hebrews for a little bit was sort of like reading a really complicated textbook, and um, it was hard. Raise your hand if you find Hebrews a little difficult. Okay, all right, I'm, I'm with you on that. So I'm the kind of person that, like, in high school... I go and find the spark notes or the cliff notes of the of like Shakespeare, you know. And the, if, you, if you're not familiar with those, that's just like a little pamphlet that each chapter will say, "Here's what you need to know in order to not fail tomorrow," in class. So that's kind of what I do, right? So I was reading these, and and again, I I, I kind of needed the cliff notes for Hebrews because just reading them from start to finish was was it's just really heady. It's a lot going on in there, and this uh, it's hard for me to follow it. So I found it was really really helpful to uh, try and just understand, okay, big picture, what is going on in this book? Who is it to? What is it about? So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't drink coffee, uh, but as I was thinking about this, there, a couple of us went over to uh, Captain Fatty's, I think it was, and uh, we were hanging out, and I'm looking at, like, the different beers that they make over there, and I'm like, hey, maybe they make, maybe this means that they actually serve beer in heaven, too. Yeah, that, was, that got me really excited. I'm like, yes, good, because I don't drink coffee, so, so I'm glad he brews. So there you go. Sorry, Ethan. Sorry, Ethan. That's, that's all I can do. So it got me really excited, and then it was, that kicked me off. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm ready to do this, because that's something I can get behind. Who was it written to? So um, I'm just going to ask you guys, who are the Hebrews? Go ahead and just belt it out. Who is it written to? Jews, yes, Hebrews is who it's written to, who are Jewish people. Yes, exactly. Mark's exactly right. He said, who has received Jesus, right? So the targets are Jewish Christians. Or actually, interestingly enough, I was reading about it. I'm not, it's not entirely clear who it's written, to, written by. It was circulated along with Paul's writings, but the writer mentions that he was there with the original apostles and got his faith from there, which is not exactly the same as Paul. The style and vocabulary is not the same as Paul, so we're not exactly sure who it's written by, but it was circulated at the same time. And it's targeting Jewish Christians, otherwise known as uh, Messianic Jews. Um, so, for example, who are the Jews? All of the apostles, 
were Jews. Jesus was Jewish. Much of what you read in the New Testament is all about, especially in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, is all happening to Jews and with Jews and in uh, the area of Jerusalem. Um, so these Messianic Jews, they're people that are yearning. Um, Jews in general are yearning for the Messiah, right? They're waiting for the Savior to come back. So Messianic Jews are Jews that are, that are saying, hey, the Messiah came back. He was Jesus. We got him. You know, like we're in the next stage of the Jewish kingdom, basically. Um, so this is written to Jews. who uh, It's possible that they were even maybe being uh, tempted away from Christianity, from Jesus, and back to Judaism. So it's kind of, it, that's the target audience, okay? The whole New Testament, uh, the, whole, the whole four Gospels is all about Jewish people in Jerusalem and around there, right? So con- consequently, this book is full of messianic references from Psalms, Isaiah, Genesis. This is stuff that Jewish people would really know, especially Jewish scholars. They'd, they'd, um, they'd really be a... Uh, they would have really learned all of that throughout their lives. Um, as, an, as an interesting aside, uh, one thing I found that was interesting as I researched it, that Jewish people and Christians at that time period, when there's a lot of Romans and Greeks, were effectively considered atheists. Isn't that funny? Because if you think about like the Romans and the, Jew- and the, the Greeks, they had like 20 gods, or even Hindus, or like any, any culture you think about at that time had like 20 gods. So the idea that you have this one invisible god was like, these people don't even believe in God. It's interesting. But um, one of the things that I found was uh, looking back at the way that the book of Hebrews was structured. It's kind of s- structured in three different sections. Again, this is what, as I, as I understood this and then went back and read it, it was much easier for me to make sense. Okay, here's what he's getting at. Okay, because if I just read every sentence, I could kind of get lost. So the first, uh, remember, this is to the Jews. And um, uh, first century Jews actually had... Uh, a really strong view of angels. Like, they really believed in angels. And so the f- chapters 1 through 3 kind of talk about Jesus Christ's relation to angels. Um, in fact, it's kind of shocking that in chapter 1 through 3, the writer writes, the son, the son, meaning Jesus, is far greater than angels. So for a culture that is like, dude, angels are up there, they're, you know, they're really special, there's all these things in the Old Testament about angels like battling on our behalf, um, to say that Jesus is greater than angels is kind of could even be a little shocking. Chapter two and kind of in the middle there kind of talks about uh, finishing Christ's relation to angels. Then talks about Christ's relation to humans, to us. So if you read that, one of um, um, one of the uh, quotes here I really like from um, from chapter two, verse eighteen. Alan kind of went into this last week. Um, if you haven't listened to Alan's uh, sermon from last week, you can find it on the podcast. Uh, Mark, where can they get the podcast? Spotify, Apple Music, or uh, the podcast app. Okay, great. So you search for Mission Isla Vista? Yeah. Go listen to Alan's uh, um, sermon last week. It was really on fire. Jacob and I were really struck. uh, Because he basically explained why this verse is true. In 2.18 it says, Since Jesus himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Right? Um, In fact, even if you think about... This is, again, this, is, this chapter is now about Christ's relation to humans. So if you think about, for example, one thing I was thinking about with, um, with Alan and with uh, one of my other friends was, was Jesus' temptation. I think we can sometimes think of Jesus' temptation as, well, he was perfect. I know he was tempted, but he was Jesus. He wasn't really tempted, right? But I think when you actually think about it, he was, 
deeply tempted. He was tempted with the things that would hit him hard, right? So we might look at these temptations and be like, I, I can't relate, right? But to Jesus, you could rule all of the earth. They will all bow down to you. That was actually something that would tempt him. So he was seriously tempted, even to the point of um, telling uh, Peter, I think it is, Satan, get back away from me. Like, why would he react that strongly? Because that was a serious temptation that he actually had to overcome. So I, I think it's important to realize he was actually human, really like us, exactly as tempted, and really knows how hard that is. So Alan's sermon was, again, really hard-hitting, was all about how when you're going through those really hard things, he knows. He's not, that's not foreign to Jesus. He went through it as well. Chapter 3, then, after that, so we got Christ's relation to angels in chapter 1 to 3, Christ's relation to humans. Then we got, um, here's where he really gets into talking about Jesus' relation sort of to the Jews, but specifically as high priest. So in chapter 3, he says that Jesus is greater even than Moses. Moses is like one of the, he's, a, he's the, one of the, the Israeli, uh, the Jewish patriarchs who brought down the, the Ten Commandments and really mediated the relationship with God to the rest of the Jews. Then 4 through 9, Jesus is even, he is your high priest and he's greater than the previous high priest that came before him. So this is the part where I read this and I was like, what? is up with the high priest thing. Like, I don't, I don't really know what a high priest is. Like, it's hard for me to relate to that a little bit. Um, it talks about how... Um, so the high priest in... Uh, it's similar to maybe how we would think about the word priest, right? Somebody who, like, mediates our relationship to God, basically, right? But the high priest is, like, the ultimate one. He, like, really is mediating that relationship. And so he says that um, Jesus is greater than the high priest, even greater than the... The, the first high priest ever. There's this weird name in there. It's almost like a mystical, strange thing. This guy named Melchizedek. Raise your hand if you've heard of Melchizedek. Okay. So it's interesting. It's, it's, there's not a ton of writing about it. In fact, maybe even this book has the most writing about Melchizedek. But basically, Melchizedek has no lineage. And in the Jewish traditional um, custom, if he had no lineage, they're like, where did he come from? And he actually was... Um, he was... Uh, the priest even for Abraham, the earliest uh, Jewish uh, patriarch. So Jesus is the high priest. Mel um, the writer writes that Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priests, the ones that um, Moses said, these are, this is the priestly uh, tribe. So the Levitical priests are appointed by the Levite tribe. But then he says Jesus is greater than even Melchizedek. Melchizedek was effectively, uh, this writer says, that is appointed by God himself. So if Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, Jesus himself was appointed by God. He's just saying, I mean, this is for, so coming from a Jewish perspective, you'd be like, whoa, this is crazy. Um, however, um, you can see all of this connects directly to Jews. Now, I'm not Jewish. Raise your hand if you're Jewish. Who in here is Jewish? A couple? Okay. Cool. That's awesome. So... Um, we've only, my family, um, especially when, when Jesus came and touched us and changed our lives, I got really excited about Jewish traditions and customs because everything I'm reading about is steeped in that whole culture, right? And some of the, some of the few traditions that, um, that we've experienced are things like, for example, the Passover Seder. Passover Seder is just one of the multiple annual feasts. But when you grow up Jewish, you're doing multiple feasts throughout the year. Um, as I understand, by the way, um, I'm not Jewish, so it's entirely possible I get some of that wrong. But as I understand it, you're doing multiple J Jewish feasts throughout the year. And each of those are remembering, well, who are we? Who are our people? Where do we come from? And the Passover Seder, to me, is like the most mind-blowing one. 
Um, especially having kids, um, where when, every single year you'll do the Passover Seder and you go through the whole history of coming out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt and the parting of the Red Sea and the plagues and just remembering like, hey, remember what God did for us. Remember how he did all these different things. And even you see like your three or four-year-olds partaking in this ceremony, breaking bread, and they even have a, a, um, like a fun kid's part where like, the kids go and hi- like, you hide the bread and they have to go find the bread. And they're just doing this every year. And you realize, wow, every single year you're growing up remembering, whoa, this is my people. This is where they came from. It's really, really deep, right? So this book being steeped in all of that history, when they're talking about the high priest and Melchizedek and all that, when, if you've grown up Jewish, that stuff really hits you hard. But we only had three people here who raised their hand. So what about the rest of us? Right? Like, I mean, I, I had to go learn about this. I'm like, okay, that's how Jewish people relate to this. That can, that, I was, I was struggling with it. I'm like, I'm not entirely sure I relate to this because I don't think I've ever had a high priest before. <laughs> um, in Acts 10 is where things get really amazing. All of that, all of the gospel and even much of Acts, which comes right after the four gospels, um, occurs in the culture of Judaism. But in Acts 10 is where Peter has a vision and a crazy miraculous encounter where God goes to the non-Jews, it's called the Gentiles in, in uh, Jewish parlance, in, in Hebrew parlance. And the Jewish apostles at the time were even shocked by that. They argued about it. Some of them were like, what are you talking about? Like this whole, like we're the chosen people. Like how could that be? But uh, they worked it out and they were really shocked to find out, wow, God is going to everybody. And they suddenly realized there are prophecies about this, right? There's tons of prophecies that say this is what's going to happen. So that's where, um, although this whole book and the high priest is something that, again, is really... um, key for somebody who comes from a Jewish culture, how does it relate to me? So I was really asking myself that question, and I realized that, okay, Israel obviously is very important. I mean, our whole faith centers on that culture, on that history. Again, I really highly recommend, at minimum, do a Passover Seder sometime. It is amazing. But the way he came and found me was specifically tailored to who I am, who my culture is, who, what questions I had at that time. I mean, um, and I realized that for all of the rest of us who aren't Jewish, he tailored that whole, uh, the events that happened and even the writings in this book to say, hey, this is just for you. The amazing thing is that he's able to do that for every single culture. Like think of a culture around the world that you completely don't relate to. I think my, one of my favorite examples is, um, is uh, being part of the family of Christ. We're all brothers and sisters, but you might show up at a Chinese house church and feel yourself pretty uncomfortable, <laughs> right? But those are still our brothers and sisters. I know this gives me a picture of like, this is the family of Christ, right? It is deeper and maybe more uncomfortable even than we're used to, right? It's not just people that look like you um, or act like you or even speak the same language. So... I wanted to share an interesting story of, I was just thinking about what are some of the interesting stories that God, uh, in, of ways that God has impacted us in ways that really are about us. And, I said, and the more I thought about that, the more I talked to people about it, the more um, it just blows my mind, right? It's way beyond, like when, when God says, hey, I'm going to save the whole world and this message is for everybody and the good news is for everybody in the whole world, no matter what their background is, um, that is so varied, it's amazing. So 
I'll tell you a quick story for me about a story that I think is quite hilarious, but it's about how God really, really impacted me, and this same event might happen to someone else, and it would just not impact you the same way. So the way I became, Z and I both became Christian outside of a church. Uh, we, had, we were living in Santa Barbara, and I was here for graduate school, so I'm, in, I'm a scientist. And uh, I was in my mid-20s, and um, I couldn't, I don't think I could articulate this at the time, but now in retrospect, I realized what I really, really cared about was truth. And... Um, and uncovering the truth and, and not, ha- not having that tarnished by what people thought. Um, so I started reading the book of Mark to my beautiful wife, Azita, over there. And, uh, and I had never, I realized, I, I was brought up in a nominally Christian household, but when I started reading this book to her, um, I suddenly realized I had never read it before. And I, and I knew all the stories, and I knew all of the, you know, the, the stories you're told and parables. I'd heard all of those before, but I had never actually read it before. And I, as I read it, I suddenly realized, wow, this is not what I thought it was. Because I thought it was like um, fictional moral tales, like the Odyssey or the Iliad or Gilgamesh or something like that. As I read it, I'm like, wow, this is terribly written. There, there's no narration. They don't tell you what color this guy is. What does this person look like? As I was reading it, I'm like, this is not a novel. That's what I thought it was. It's not a novel. This is literally fishermen writing down what they saw. And you have four different books by four different people trying to write down the same things. And sometimes they don't even completely match, which doesn't change the story at all. And yet, that's exactly what I expect from a historical document. It blew my mind. I'm like, okay, I had never, as a scientist, no one had ever told me that this is actually just hard evidence. I did not realize that. It's amazing. And there's 100 footnotes and 100 different translations for you to go make up your own mind, right? They're, not trying, like, they're not trying to pull one over on you. It's really interesting. But still, as a scientist, I was struggling. I, I sort of struggled with... Um, well, honestly, it was just pride. Like, pride is the thing that made it hard for me to actually give up control. It literally took me a year, okay? So my, my wife, got Azita, got transformed in one night, okay? And then for me, it was a year-long struggle. <laughs> that was a hard part of, part of our marriage. She was like, what's wrong with you? Like, like it, was, it was tough. <laughs> some of you guys at the JB house, we gave a talk about that. You heard how uncomfortable some of those nights were. <laughs> um, but so one of the things I, I, again, I believed, like this really happened. And, you know, I got to the point in the Bible where it says that Jesus raised someone from the dead. And I'm like, wow, if this really happened and he raised someone from the dead, I should listen to what he has to say. It was literally that simple. Like that was my thought process. I used to, we used to live downtown and uh, I used to have to bike to UCSB for graduate school, uh, bike or take the bus. And uh, if, Every other day or something like that, I would, I would bike one way, then take the bus back, and vice versa. Um, so I didn't really have the stamina to do it both ways. And, um, and so I, there was one day when I'd, I'd like leave at like 9.30 and, uh, on a Tuesday, and I start biking, up, biking, and I'm just praying to God, Hey, God, how does our understanding, meaning like scientists' understanding of how the world was created and the Big Bang and all that stuff, how does that make sense with what Genesis says? I'm not sure that it was actually like holding me back. I was just literally curious. And um, as soon as I've prayed that, I love praying while biking. This place is so beautiful to bike in too. As soon as I had prayed that, I come around a corner and I just see this biker coming towards me. He's got a, a white bike with a basket on it with flowers on it. He's wearing all white robes. He's got flowers in his hair. He's like a total hippie biker dude. And there's like flowers literally falling out of his hair. And right on the front of his basket is a big sign that says, Jesus loves you. And he's just smiling at me and waving, going past me. And I just start cracking up. It was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen. Uh, I kind of, I get to work, I forget about it. And like two weeks later, I'm 
back there doing the same thing on a different day, different time of different time of day. I think I left at nine o'clock that morning on like Wednesday, and on a different part of the bike path, I'm asking the exact same question again. Now, I now realize after the fact that I'm sitting there asking God, "Hey God, how did you make the universe? Explain to me the details right now." Sounds a little arrogant. Yes, I might have been a little bit arrogant. I'm on a different part of the bike path, a different day, and I ask the same question. God, explain to me how our understanding of how the universe was made makes sense with Genesis. And I come around a different corner, and I see the same guy waving at me, big smile, like flowers flying out of his hair, Jesus loves you sign. I start cracking up again, and suddenly I realize, oh, this isn't just a crazy fluke. He's giving me the answer, right? The answer was, I turn around, and I don't see him anymore. I don't know where he went. And the answer was, hey, like, Jesus loves you. That, you, should be worried, you should be thinking more about that. And as, as, as soon as I heard that, as soon as I realized that, which he was answering me twice, as soon as I realized that, and by the way, I went to a, I went to a church, um, we were, at the time we were at Santa Barbara Community Church, and there's tons of serious bikers there, and I have yet to meet anybody who's ever seen this guy. So I, I can't, don't have an explanation for that. But I realized, okay, Genesis is just a few, it's like six pages of the Bible, Right? Compared to the rest of this book, apparently it's not that important. Um, you know, because you could probably fill five books with exactly how quarks work and exactly how the Higgs boson works. I mean, that's the stuff I wanted to know. It's not written in there. And yet there's something he made people like me who just can't help but be curious about that and get excited about that. I mean, the heavens declare the glory of God. I mean, I love that stuff, right? That message was so specifically for me in exactly that time right? Given my background, given my current studies, given my mindset, I mean, it couldn't have been tailored better for me. So that's one example. I'm sure there are tons of examples here. Um, I was going to ask uh, Rachel, if you don't mind. Rachel, was, I asked Rachel to also think of a story in which God encountered her with a message that was tailored just to her, given her background. So could everyone just welcome up Rachel? She's going to give us a story as well. Hi everyone, my name is Rachel. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church family. Um, thank you so much, Demis, for um, this message. It's really important. Um, so before I start, I want to invite you into a tradition um, that we do in Haitian churches. Whenever someone um, shares a testimony, what we do is we thank the Lord even before we even know what that person's testimony is. And so um, we're going to learn a Haitian phrase today, and then we're going to declare it and thank the Lord. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, awesome. So the phrase is... I'll say it and then you repeat after me. Benny, Benny. Swa, Swa. l'Eternel. Benny, Swa, l'Eternel. Benny, Swa, l'Eternel. Amazing. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> um, so that just means bless the Lord or bless the eternal one. Um, so I'll say it and you repeat after me if you guys want to stand up and just raise your hands or whatever you want to do. Um, we're going to thank the Lord today, yeah? 
All right. Benny Swaletenel. Benny Swaletenel. Benny Swaletenel. Amen. All right. Y'all can sit down. Whoa. Thank you, guys. Awesome. All right. So, um, my name is Rachel. I'm from Florida. I come from a Haitian immigrant family. Um, I went to college in Colorado. Then I taught in Thailand. And then the Lord brought me here. And um, yeah, so that's my story. Um, he's been so faithful to me in all of those places in surrounding me with community that loves him um, and also just grounding me in worship. Um, one specific place like teaching in Thailand it's two percent Christian and he even um, gave me community there and gave me songs that grounded me um, some of them being Isla Vista worship songs anyways so um, my story today is uh, it took place in California um, in 2020-2021 I was unemployed for almost two years, and the Lord provided for me my basic necessities, my rent, my food, and all of that, but also provided above and beyond um, and catered to or even answered the dreams of my heart. Um, during this time, I got a car for free and just a lot of things paid for, and so this is an example of one thing that the Lord paid for. Okay, so um, I was unemployed and the job market was looking horrible at the time. So I was like, let me try some music things. Um, I tried to audition for The Voice and I was really excited about it. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. I was super confident. Um, and during that time, I had a friend who messaged me and she's like, you should really apply for the songwriting retreat in Louisiana, and I'm like, that's not on my radar. I'm trying to, you know, do the voice, and it's going to be amazing. But for some reason, that was still in my mind and my heart. And so I went on a walk with the Lord to ask him, um, you know, what do you think about this Louisiana thing? It seems really far-fetched. How am I going to pay for it? I'm unemployed, all of these things. So then I, um, I run into someone, and they ask me how I'm doing, and I share with them just this inner turmoil that I have, and they're like, oh, okay. And so the next day, um, I get my results from the voice auditions. No. <laughs> Did not. Did, yeah, I know, right? That's what I said. I said, how? And yeah. <laughs> Did not get in. And so this person texts me and they're like, how did it go? And I'm like, it, it didn't work. I, whatever. And they're like, are you still interested in this Louisiana thing? And I'm like, I guess. I mean, it kind of feels unreasonable to pay for all of this. And they're like, well, the Lord told me that if you go to this, that I meant to sew into it. So Venmo requests me $200. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to this thing. And then I went to one friend and I was telling them about it. And they're like, oh, I would love to pay for your plane ticket there. And I'm like, okay. And I talked to another friend about it. And they're like, oh, I want to pay for your plane ticket back. And people are just paying me to go to this thing. And I'm like, okay. And so um, 
I talked to my friend about it and I'm like, I guess I'm going. And she's like, great, my dad decided to pay for our Airbnb. And just like every single thing was provided for. And so I finally go to this thing and um, during the time I was doing the 60 day challenge, if anyone's done that, raise your hand if you. Yes, okay, so no flour, no white flour and no sugar for 60 days. So I had started in January and this thing was in February, so I was in the middle of it. And I'm like, how am I supposed to go to Louisiana on the 60 day challenge? And so I went and there was this guy that was also part of the program and he was on a keto diet, which is actually kind of similar to the 60 day. And it was like he was guiding me how to eat. He was like, okay, we can eat this today and we can eat this today. And he even brought like chocolate that didn't have sugar on it, sugar in it. And so the Lord was just providing an even every single detail. So I go and we have these different songwriting groups and one of the songwriting groups that I get to be in is with the founder of this program. And she is this worship leader that wrote songs that really carried me even in my time in Thailand. And so I was like, that's crazy that I get to write songs with someone who has impacted my personal relationship with the Lord and she didn't even know. And so we write a song together. I'm like, oh, that's really amazing. And then I don't think about it, right? So it's February. On Mother's Day, she ends up singing the bridge of the song at her church, and it's live streamed. And I just, I was like, what in the world? This is a bridge that I helped write. And then she hit me up. She's like, yeah, so it just became this moment and I think I'm going to put it on my album and tell me your um, all of your information so I can give you songwriting credits and everything so a year later I end up on this album with people singing this song that this community helped send me to go to a songwriting camp and so it was just really incredible um, and it meant so much to me specifically um, yeah so um, that is my story. I hope that it encourages you that the Lord knows you. He sees you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows the desires of your heart. Um, and nothing is too big for him. Thanks, Rachel. That's really good. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that, right? That is, that is tailored to her and what she needed right there. And it impacted her in a way that if it happened to someone else, we might be like, it might impact us less, right? Um, uh, lastly, I wanted to have my beautiful wife, Azita, come up. And she's going to share something as well. Give her a hand. If you know this woman, she's amazing. Way more academic than me, by the way. Don't, let, don't be deceived. So thanks, Az. Hello, guys. Um, so mine's very short, but basically I grew up in a Muslim household and literally my whole lineage is Muslim. And so I'm basically the first Christian that has like entered in and kind of created like a new path for people going forward, starting from me, which is phenomenal and crazy. But um, when I became a Christian, our son was not born yet, actually. And so I was, you know, I became a Christian, very crazy, one-night addictions, all sorts of stuff just dropped off of me in one night. It was crazy. And so my husband had a little more of a journey than I did. So I thought, I was like, I literally was like, why can't you just 
be changed and do your thing and we're done. Like, it was not like that at all. And so, um, so anyways, I became a Christian, but it was a big struggle for me to do that because I was like, what's going to happen with my family? They're going to drop me. And I don't know what that kind of response is going to be like. I have no clue. I have family in Pakistan and South, not Saudi Arabia, but like in Kuwait and England and Singapore, just all Muslims. They all followed the rules and all this stuff. And so I became a Christian and um, unfortunately ended up getting disowned by my father. And so when we had our son, God had specifically told me that it's going to be a boy and you're going to name him Jacob. Hadn't finished the Bible yet at that point. And I literally stopped. I stopped at this point where um, Jacob and Esau have this whole like soup situation that really, really messed my heart up actually because I was like, Jacob's, you know, like, how could he do this to his brother? Like, this is horrible. Like, all for lentil stew. Like, this is crazy, you know? Anyway, I was, like, really upset. And I was like, Demis, I think God is telling me that I, we have to name him Jacob. Like, is that okay to name him Jacob? Like, considering the lentil stew situation. Hadn't finished the Bible yet. So, um, but then, like, Demis is like, listen, I don't want to be struck dumb. Like, weird or silent, not dumb and silent, maybe. Um, and so he's like, we got to name Jacob. And I'm like, all right, fine. And so I kept reading, and then I find out about Jacob being, um, his name being changed to Israel, the wrestling with the angel. And I was like, this name is crazy crazy name. So I'm like, all right, we're good with Jacob. So um, my father had not yet known that I had become a born-again Christian. And I was very reluctant to tell him because he's the one that used to go back to Saudi Arabia and meet all his very fundamental Muslim friends. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I can do this. And so, but I did it, told him, and then got disowned. And after that, I was just, I just felt parentless. My mother still was in touch with me, which is wonderful. But around that time, the Lord just kept on giving me all these different um, words and just kind of like the sense that he was my father. And when I had no father, he was the one that was going to take my place, take his place. And it was crazy. And so I don't know if anybody's heard of John Paul Jackson, but he does this like crazy father's blessing. And it's essentially for people who have not had a father in their life that has poured into them and like loved them and really been the father that the Lord wants the father to be, like the human father to be. And he blesses his children. So John Paul Jackson like is blessing us, essentially, like people who have not had a father. And um, that wrecked me, but then the Lord gives me this psalm and so Demis had actually said that we didn't, like, we didn't get saved in the church. So we were just, like, these very odd renegade, like, had no idea what we were doing. And, and I was like, you know, why do I feel like I need to eat the word? Is something wrong with me? Like, I'm, like, metaphor. This is not a metaphor anymore. Like, something I had no idea that prophets actually ate the word. They were given the word. So all these very odd things were happening to me, and I was just like, I'm going insane. Like, I don't understand anything that's going on. But the Lord gave me Psalm 27. So this was like pretty much, I think, after my father had said that we weren't allowed in his house anymore. And Psalm 27, 10 says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And uh, that 
killed me, actually. And it, this is the Bible I think I actually was reading, and I underlined it, but, like, I love Jesus around it, all this stuff, because I was like, I don't have my father anymore. And, like, I have this supernatural creator, and he's like, I am your father, and I'm going to be so much better than any mortal could ever be as your father. So that is what spoke to me personally, and it was so specific and so caring and wonderful. And that's my, that's my story. Thanks, Oz. Yeah, it's amazing. So I guess wrapping it up here, the two things I want you to get from this message is one that as you're reading this book, if it's hard, that's okay. It's hard for me too. And I found that the summary was really helpful, right? Just that uh, the first part is Christ's relation to angels, Christ's relations to humans, then Christ's relation to the uh, high priest and how he's above the previous high priests. The fact that all of that is connecting directly to Jews, but what we heard here today is just three small examples of the ways in which he actually connects to all of us no matter where we came from, no matter what our background is, no matter what we're going through today, um, it's amazing. He knows us and he loves us so dearly. And he knows you better than anyone else, right? Even to the point of being able to really bless you as your father. It's amazing. Um, I hope that really hits somebody here today. And I'm just going to close in prayer that, that, that God would be able to do that for us um, today. So pray with me, please. Lord God, we thank you so much that you know us better than anyone else we know. Even our father and mother or friends or whoever just loves us so much. God, you know us even better than them. You knit us together in our mother's womb. You count every hair on our heads. And nothing goes by that you don't know, you don't understand. And even if it, if it, um, if it hurts us, we know it breaks your heart too, God. Because you love your children. You love your sons and daughters more than anyone else. So God, I just help, I pray that even in the Jewish tradition where they go back and they remember what you have done multiple times a year, go back and say, remember what God did. Remember when he did that crazy thing? God, I pray that even right now, you just remind us, what is that thing that you did, that you showed up that was just for us to remind us that you are with us? There's no time when we can walk around and, and think, oh, he's, he's not here today. So God, just remind us because we're forgetful people. We have to come every Sunday to remember. <laughs> Remind us of that time that you showed up and you, just, and, and you proved to us with physical hard evidence, I am your father, I know you, and I love you so much. Yeah, we thank you for, so much for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you all today, and um, I'll give it back to Jason here. Thank you, Demis.